favorite cartoon characters will help you understand how drugs and alcohol can ruin your life. So watch the program. Talk about it with your family. presentation with Mike and Ethan. Well, actually, with Mike and Mike and Ethan tonight. Or? Uh, Alf will not be seen tonight. Except that tonight we are dealing with a feature that we have never really dived into before, which is sitcoms. The things that our show usually preempts. So tonight, just for night, just for once, it is, instead of special presentation, your regularly scheduled programming. Stay tuned for Alf. Yeah, because our guest today is uh, Mike Vago of the Onion AV Club, and uh, Mike is, well, Mike, why don't you uh, tell us about yourself before we actually get into it? Sure. I've, I've written the Wiki Wormhole column on Sundays in the AV Club for about eight years now, and I've written, wrote other stuff for them in the past and written for elsewhere. Uh, my sixth book comes out this summer, I think, keeps getting pushed back because of covid but it's called The Planets Are Very, Very, Very Far Away, which is a kid's guide to the solar system, which is based on the premise that you have never seen an accurate map of the solar system. They, they fudge the scale to make it fit in a page. Instead of doing that, the page unfolds and unfolds again until it's six pages wide and you get this gigantic, accurate map of the solar system. This is exciting. Um, yeah, my other books include a working miniature golf course in book form, a, um, a, a children's book where a, there's two, there's one with a train, one with a rocket, that glide across the page and follow the story and then get to the end of the page and pivot and go to the next page. Um, and then I wrote a novel about people with superpowers. Um, <laughs> so but I, I have a short attention span. I'm getting to a lot of projects. I also have a um, podcast of my own, which Mike was a guest on very recently called yes. Why Is This Not a Movie? Which uh, where we just talk about ideas for things that should be movies. And that's a lot of fun. Mike pitched a 80s teen comedy where King Arthur is brought forward in time. Uh, which was a lot of fun. So check. I've out, heard this uh, one before. It's a delight. One. Yes, <laughs> that's right. So um, everyone should go listen to that episode of Why Is It This a Movie? While you're there, listen to older ones too, as well. You know, yeah, wait, you. like um, the one with our friend Steph Cherrywell was featured on, where he, where Steph discussed uh, Interstellar Pig, a classic uh, ch- children's novel that absolutely deserves to be a movie. Yeah, exactly. And the the nice thing is it goes from like book adaptations and sequels we never got and stories from history and just completely silly left field ideas like i had a national book award nominee come on and talk about uh making a movie about the whoever makes all the masks for the villains in scooby-doo because <laughs> somebody's I, making I all get the, behind that somebody's <laughs> making those masks they're high quality there's an artisan at work here and we need to del- delve into who this is so uh it can be very silly or very intellectual and it's it's a lot of fun uh but when mike and i were doing the podcast I don't know how, I think we were just talking about trashy 80s culture and it came up, uh, all right. So when I was maybe in my early twenties, this memory just surfaced in my brain of Laverne and Shirley on an army mission underwater being yelled at by a talking pig. (laughs) And I thought, well, that can't be real. 
clearly like I was, I was traumatized as a child. And this is just how my brain is dealing with this by inventing this insane memory of a cartoon that could not have existed. And then a couple of years passed on the internet uh, came along and I was able to research this. And it turns out, sadly, it wasn't trauma. It was worse. <laughs> they made a cartoon out of Laverne and Shirley where they were in the army and their commanding officer was a talking pig named Sergeant Squealy. And so there was a long tradition of sitcoms where they would take the cast and usually the, the voice cast would be the actual cast of the show and just jettison the premise entirely and just come up with something that was bananas. <laughs> I mean, you know, as you do, um, th this, uh, well, I, it makes sense because a sitcom and a uh, cartoon are very different, very different beasts. So if you're going to adapt it for kids, you're like, look, p p kids don't want to know about, you know, two women trying to make it on their own in the world. They, they want a talking pig. Um, but uh, when we were kind of discussing this, uh, you mentioned that this is this is a big thing. There are a lot of sitcoms that were adapted and you had a f you knew a, few, a fair number of them, um, which well, I, my, my column, my vehicle called Wiki Wormhole is just about weird Wikipedia pages. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just some crazy, like, why does this have a page? Or why is this page so insanely detailed about some innocuous thing? But a lot of it's just, I get to talk about, like, weird stories from history and weird bits of pop culture to trade us and stuff. And so I just turned to Wikipedia. And there is a list of cartoons based on sitcoms that I ran down. So, okay. So um, let's start with, uh, let's start with Laverne and Shirley in the Army. Okay. Um, well, little preface, most of these, the uh, perpetrators were generally Hanna-Barbera, which was the, you know, beloved but very low quality cartoon factory yeah. of, yeah. The, of the 70s and 80s. And then Filmation, which has not existed in a long time. Um, you know, they sort of took, took turns adapting things. Um, I think kind of Ruby a, Spears had something yeah. to do with it too I sometimes. I was wondering if there were going to be any Ruby Spears in there because they seem to be, they're like the weird kind of like bridge between those two things. If you see something yeah. and you can't tell if it's Hanna-Barbera or Filmation, it seems to be like the worst aspects of both. It's usually Ruby <laughs> Spears. <laughs> well, I do have one Ruby Spears show, but they can, they come into it late. This, this started in the 70s with the Brady kids because the Brady Bunch was huge and it's about kids. It's kind of kid friendly, but they, they were just desperate to, you know squeeze every drop of blood out of these poor kids because they did the variety show that was canceled during its first episode <laughs> which is like an infamous tv flop so that's made... what that simpsons thing was uh making fun of oh yeah you know, that was we a just direct... thought it was something else we thought it was something unique but nope they were parodying something that was gone before any kid was old enough to hear about it so oh, yeah and even the even down to like lisa refusing to participate i think eve plum or somebody refused to do it and they just got a, a stand-in, basically. <laughs> um, and so in 1972, Filmation did the Brady Kids. It ran for two seasons. One was 17 episodes, one was five. That's, and that, that sounds like Filmation. They like to he, do new season, three new episodes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, in looking up cartoons, I really, Hong Kong Fooey, which I remember as being like a long-running beloved thing, it had like six episodes. It was like Salty Towers. It just had this <laughs> outsized impact because it had a theme song we liked. And, um, but yeah, the, the, the attitude that's pervasive through all this is this is very just disposable crap to just put in front of the kids on a Saturday morning because they did not care. And now I'm watching like Gravity Falls and Adventure Time with my kids and be like, this is better than any drama for adults that we had <laughs> it's you know, true. growing up. That's well, for damn sure. You know, I don't think an episode of uh, 
Father Dowling mysteries can hold up to a single episode of uh, Gravity Falls. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it is weird watching cartoons nowadays that like people actually care about like making. It's it's weird because you know oh, I, I, mean, I know it's it's like like you said this stuff was just it was disposable. But the Brady kids. So it, I'm sure, what did they change in the Brady Kids show to make it? Well, okay, they, they ditched the parents and Alice, basically all the adults. Mm-hmm. But they added, they added Marlon, a talking minor bird, who was also a wizard. And oh, then, okay. even though they had a dog, Tiger, on the live action show, they replaced him with a different dog, Mop Top. And for some reason, they had twin panda cubs, Ping and Pong, who spoke in fake Chinese gibber, gibber, yeah. let me try that again. <laughs> They had twin panda cubs, Ping and Pong, who spoke in fake Chinese gibberish, gibberish, because it was the 70s and fuck cultural sensitivity. <laughs> um, they also had three teenage human characters as kind of foils for the Brady kids. So they were like the bullies or the villains or whatever, but they would just like needed more people for them to interact with because it couldn't just be like the boy, the three boys and the three girls, you know, getting into mischief. Yeah, they, they didn't oh, they have, have gone all the, the way. Show. Yeah. But this is also, this is really the Ro- Rosetta Stone for a lot of like crappy late 70s, early 80s animation because... First of all, they did a song in every episode because it was also another way they were trying to milk, you know, the Brady success for money was having them be a musical actor, a family band or whatever. So every episode had a song and there was usually a guest star and the guest stars included Superman, the first animated TV appearance of Wonder Woman. So the Super Friends is a spinoff of the Brady kids. This is canon. Wow. <laughs> what so, about the Wonder Twins? Were they there? No, but. Um, ah. But, but. One of the other guest stars. So the original cast voiced season one. Um, on the advice of their agent, the actors who played Greg, Marsha, and Peter didn't return for season two and were t- replaced by Lane and Erica Scheimer, who were the children of the founder of Filmation <laughs> and voiced a lot of their shows. It was just like family business. It's like Bob's Burgers. Like, we're not paying you kids. You're just going to work here. Um, and I mentioned them because one of the season two episodes, there was a minor bird who was a wizard. But one of the season two episodes introduced a human wizard named Miss Tickle. And this is what's known in the business as a backdoor pilot, where oh. like Mork and Mindy started with- Miss Tickle. Mork was a one-off character on Happy Days for some reason, just because they were like, oh, Rob Moses is funny, put him in a thing, nobody cares. But then they just spun that on. It was kind of like a test to see like, will people like this Mork character if they do or make it a show? Was um, Mork an alien on Happy Days? Yeah, yeah. He was like Mork from Orc. He came down and like messed with Fonzie with his magical, you know, Orc powers, whatever. It was very bizarre. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't like Laverne and Shirley who were like supporting characters on Happy Days who were like, oh, people like Laverne, let's give her her own show. This yeah, was like, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, we have this character. We don't know if he's going to fly. Let's plug him into our very successful Happy Days. If the audience likes him, he gets a show. Several shows have done this over over the years. Oh, um, it, 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 you yeah, can AV Club did a search AV Club for backdoor pilot. Somebody we did an article on this years ago. It's like that weird Star Trek episode, right? With the guy who uh, oh, Gary the, Seven. Yes, Gary Seven was supposed to be a spinoff that just never got made. But that episode was a, it was like a trial balloon for will people watch a Gary Seven show? And the answer was no. <laughs> so Miss Tickle was a was a backdoor pilot. Uh, this this wizard came in to you know mess with the Brady kids probably doing battle with their minor bird wizard. I don't know. Um, but she got her own show called Mission Ma- like Mission Colon Magic, where she leads a group of kids, also voiced by the Shimer kids, who get into magical adventures with the help of, I swear to God this is true, Rick Springfield. Oh my God. Yeah. He did a song in every episode. He even released an album called Mission Magic of songs from the show. It's only available in Australia. 
And he later said, participating in this series, quote, scarred me for life. <laughs> I, oh my God, you know what? Speaking of, of Mike, you're a, you're, you're insane, like flashback to uh, Laverne and Shirley in the ar- army and just that, that memory kind of hitting you, a memory has just hit me. And I realize I have heard of Miss Tickle and Rick Springfield because years and years ago, someone commissioned me to draw Miss Tickle and Rick Springfield. <laughs> And wow. I, I had no clue what it was. Oh, I just I remember this. Do you, do you remember this, Ethan? It wasn't I was you. Like, is that where I heard of it? Is that where I heard of Miss Pickle? Oh my God. I, I, I didn't, it didn't strike until you said Rick Springfield. And I was like, oh my God, that's what it was. It was that cartoon with Rick Springfield that apparently I drew, I think I drew Miss Tickle. Was she tickling? I don't know if tickling was actually involved now. This was a long <laughs> time ago and I really needed the money, but yeah, I, I needed a whole mad. like 10 bucks. I wasn't masochist enough to watch all these shows to prepare for the episode, so I don't know what her I was going to look up at least screenshots to put up, and I didn't get around to that. So, you know, all complete right. incompetence. <laughs> well, at least we're not live, so we can get stick that in later. <laughs> there but, you go. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, so derailing a little bit about Miss Tickle, but um, uh, so, so Laverne and Shirley, they interact with Miss Tickle, who was that was no, the, Bra- the, Bra- the Brady kids. Oh, the Brady kids, I'm sorry. Um, don't worry, we'll cut that in, out in post. So the Brady kids interact with Miss Tickle, and Miss Miss Tickle actually got made into a series, and apparently was with with Rick Springfield. And so they're um, I, I didn't write this down in my notes, but I, if I remember it, she's like a teacher at like the wizard school, or maybe I'm just conflating with Miss Frizzle. But <laughs> she had like some sort of Egyptian idol that would summon Rick Springfield. As if he were some sort of <laughs> mythical creature. Like the wizard is the regular person who lives in the world, and Rick Springfield is like the magical genie who appears and plays a song. Oh, oh okay. I was about to ask, is he playing Rick Springfield? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is Rick Springfield, but like Rick Springfield as himself. Yeah, as himself, but with like sort of magical powers, and then he would do a song <laughs> in every episode. Oh, it's like the Gary Coleman show. But but the songs that he did were songs written for this show not he wasn't like playing the hits he was just singing a song every week that was written about i don't know a wizard and her kids or her, <laughs> not her kids just a bunch of kids she hangs out with because that was totally a thing like yeah there's like three little kids who just hang out with mr t <laughs> it was in, a style in, back then you know this, this, it was the 70s actually this kind of belongs on the list there was a mr t cartoon when the a-team was at the peak and he was super popular oh uh, but it was just mr one. t with like three little kids not little kids but like kids getting new adventures and stuff and it was the first time that I was aware of the concept of a token because there was like an Asian girl who was one of the kids. And I would like, as a kid watching this, I was like, there's no way she would hang out with Mr. T. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, they just, they just put, they just put it here and here for diversity that like for its own sake, it doesn't make any sense or help the plot or really, <laughs> really do anything positive for Asian representation on television. You know, even when I was like eight, I was like, this is not, I, I remember this is, like, this is very cynical, my eight-year-old self said. It's funny. I remember watching that show as a kid and loving it because Mr. T occasionally beat up like crocodiles. And I was like, oh, oh I love seeing crocodiles. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing that got me was like, it's Mr. T with like a bunch of kids, like, like you said. And because I was also a huge fan of the A-team when I was that age. I, I because oh, of I course. Was, you know, a dumb yeah, kid. Yeah, we were... We were... Um, yeah, you fourth grade boys when that show was out. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, the they're, same they're age. blowing stuff up. Years. It's great. They had the, um, uh, but, but the one of the kids from the A-Team cartoon was in the, a- sorry, the Mr. T cartoon was in the A-Team. There was like a oh. little kid 
who was like a little ginger kid who dressed like Mr. T and like pretend always acted like he was Mr. T. Oh, I've seen a screenshot of that. I never, re- I didn't remember that episode and didn't remember the, didn't understand the context. Yeah. So he was actually in the A-team and then he became a character on Mr. T show. I guess they were like, oh, hey, it makes right. sense. A kid who idolized Mr. T put him in the show. But as a kid, I was like, okay, I, I buy him because he was in the A-team. None of these other kids were in the A-team. So I don't know who these posers are. <laughs> So they're not, they have no legitimacy. No legitimacy. I can't I'll name hear... any other member of the A-team besides Mr. T. Well, uh, Hannibal, Hannibal Face yeah. and Murdoch. Yeah. And then there Murdoch was usually like, favorite, they so. would try to, they would try to wedge like a girl in there. But yep. there was always like four hardened army veterans who were mercenaries. And then also like a lady with big 80s hair who just is their friend. Yeah. <laughs> so I think Anyhow, they cycled, I think they cycled through a couple of female characters they had at least three. And I, I think the audience was just like, oh, girls ruin everything. Why do you put, I can't believe. We, yeah, the honest 10 year old boys, we didn't want to know from girls. Yeah. Now, um, regarding this, this Mr. T cartoon, do you remember Chuck Norris and the Karate Commandos? No. Oh boy. Yes, that was in I, fact H. Yeah, there was a Chuck Norris cartoon, but I didn't put it on my list because of, did he ever have his own show? I mean, besides Walker, Walker Texas Ranger? Uh, I don't think so. Because that was afterward. Yeah. I think he. I think was sidekicks him. Sidekicks? But no. That was also yeah. later too. No, I think that was him. That was him. You think that, that was like was a him? short. That was like a short-lived like martial arts show that I think was him. Was that the one that was on the Disney Channel? I don't know. He was in the Sidekicks movie, so I I assume mm. he was probably in, or at least or, the show is based on him. I think. Maybe that wasn't even a show. Maybe that was a movie, and I'm. We're misremembering, but that, I love that Chuck movie. Norris, it has Bull from Night Court as the uh, the uh, evil Nazi interrogator who like um, wow. tries to uh, you know interrogate the the kid that Chuck Norris has to save. But I think it's actually all part of a fantasy sequence, and in real life, he's ah. the kid's mean gym teacher. I forget, but Bull is in it. That's the important thing. Glad glad to see him getting work because I didn't see him much outside of Night Court. Yeah, I think um, he got. Uh, he was the voice of Two Face on Batman the Animated Series. Really? really? Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, he was big, bad, hard. So, uh, huh. <laughs> and he was, oh yeah, and he was in The Last Halloween, remember? As the the mad scientist sidekick who was eating bugs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I didn't recognize him with hair though, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, so, so should we go on to keep, keep moving with yeah, these shows? Yeah. Because Move after on. the success of the Bradys, now these shows are either just a whacked out premise that makes no sense or same premise, but kids. So the next one was Hanna-Barbera now got into the mix with Jeannie, which was just, I dream of Jeannie, except instead of Major Nelson finding a, finding a lamp, a teenage boy finds a lamp. And um, they couldn't get Barbara Eden because they couldn't afford her. So there's a sound alike. Uh, there was also a Jeannie in training sidekick who based on the visuals I saw was an I'm sure incredibly sensitive uh, Arabic stereotype. <laughs> but I, I read about this. No, it's Joe <laughs> Besser, one of the one of the one of the substitute Three Stooges. Oh wow! The one, that, yeah, the one who, uh, yeah, Travis told us about it. He was the one that uh, somehow got it uh, into his into his contract that Mo didn't get to hit him. So. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why even be a stooge if that's your thing? And, yeah, he admitted later on that that was a bad idea. But. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the only real notable thing about this, they while they couldn't get Barbara Eden, they got apparently got a, a third-rate stooge. Uh, <laughs> the boy who finds the lamp is voiced by Mark Hamill in his voice voice acting job, who also wow. sang who also sang sang the theme song. 
Wow. <laughs> so um, one of my favorite thing about some of these shows is like whatever else Mark Hamill is beloved, he's done all these wonderful things and this is on his resume. But it shows that uh, voice acting is in his blood, even from the beginning. So, uh, oh yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's um, more like he uh, took a brief time out to be a live actor uh, between this and uh, Batman: The Animated Series again. Um, yeah, basically. I, but I, but he's kind of done both in parallel his whole career, which is great because he's good at everything. He's good at everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a quick question. This this uh, genie was his name Babu by any chance? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Okay, I actually think I have seen this cartoon. Um, <laughs> And because um, he's like a big fat guy with a tiny little fez, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I have seen this. Um, and I remember that it basically went, the big thing is Jeannie would, she could wiggle her nose to make things happen, like like in the sitcom. Yeah, because yeah, no, that was, was Bewitched. A, that, that was a Bewitched. Oh, that was oh, Bewitched. Yeah, yeah it something. was in uh, Jeannie. He would fool her arms. And... Oh, yeah. that's it. And I think Babu said something like, he said like, razzle jazzle, you know, and, and things would happen. <laughs> that's that's all I remember about that it. Sounds, that sounds very Hanna-Barbera too. Yeah. I feel like Rip Taylor was involved in one of these, but I couldn't tell you which one. So um, Jeannie, you know, take a popular sitcom, put it to high school. Then they try that with drama. Uh-oh. And this is not one of the big animation studios of the 70s. This is Fred Calvert Productions. Fred Calvert, Calvert was an animator who had done shorts for Sesame Street. He direct he directed Super Chicken, and he also directed Emergency Plus Four, which was mm. a pretty straightforward adaptation of Emergency, which was about EMTs. Which um, I don't know people even realize this. I only know because there was a ninety nine percent invisible about it recently. That EMTs were kind of a new thing in the seventies, and it really? started it started because there were African American neighborhoods that would not like the hospitals were not giving them uh, you know decent ambulance service, or the nine one was a joke. Oops, and so actually, a, a group uh, of people sorry, in Mike, Pittsburgh. I gotta interrupt here. Yeah. Uh, this thing is telling me I'm going to run, meeting is going to run out. Let me. Uh... Huh? Oh, the stupid Zoom 40 minute thing if you have more than two people. I forgot about it. That's weird because it hasn't done that in the past. Yeah, it didn't do it with uh, Buzz. Yeah. I guess, is it a new thing? Huh. Well, should we talk for another nine minutes and then just make it a meeting and. Oh, yeah, yeah, why not? Okay. All right. Go on. Okay. Um, so in the 70s, EMTs were actually a new thing. There were, it started in Pittsburgh. There was an African-American neighborhood that was not being well-served by the ambulance service. 911 was a joke even back then. And so a, um, a couple of, I think they were maybe military vets, just started the service where they would come to you and like do basic first aid, take you to the hospital, do first aid on the way to the hospital. And the hospitals at the first were like, who the hell are these guys? But they were very quickly like, oh, these guys are saving lives. We love them. And then EMTs became a thing. So emergency was a big hit show it was like the ER of its, you know, of its day, except it was just about EMTs sort of rushing to the scene. So they did this, they did the same show, same actors, um, but they had four kids to tag along. uh, And of course there was a pet, uh, Flash the dog, Bananas the monkey, and Charlemagne the minor bird again. I don't know why there were so many minor birds. Um, I guess guess every gang of kids just had a minor bird in the 70s and that's just, that fad (laughs) has died down. Um, And the live action leads from the series who were also here were Kevin Teig and Randolph Mantooth, who I just wanted to bring up so I could say the name Randolph Mantooth. <laughs> That's not a real name. Okay, now I finally get a joke from Wayne's World that from 30 years ago, <laughs> where they're talking about hot hot Halloween costumes for girls to wear, and one of them was a nurse, and Wayne goes, call Randy Mantooth. Rampart, I need help. <laughs> oh. I guess it was a reference to emergency. emergency? That was a deep cut. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> I, I learn all of my pop culture second and third hand from references from other pop culture. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, so much of watching The Simpsons with the kids is just explaining the 90s pop culture that they were <laughs> referencing that no one understands who's not a middle-aged man. <laughs> all right. Um, so now things get weird again because Hannibal Bear is back with Partridge Family 2200 AD. So it's this weird hybrid of the Partridge Family and Futurama. There's where, 80 years to go. Yeah, exactly. They, they take the Partridge Family in the future with no explanation. The 70s favorite family band is thrust into the 23rd century where there's still a family band and nothing has changed. And they're still like popular and people know who they are. It's as if like nothing, like they just press pause in their career, unpaused it 300 years in the future. <laughs> we're back everybody everything's nothing's changed the um the only changes were the uh the, their manager was the character in the live action series they dropped him here in favor of two new friends who tour with the band but don't perform so i don't know if they're roadies or groupies or what but marion the martian and venny who's from venus oh um, yeah of course this was in 1974 we had been to the moon multiple times but they were like oh there's maybe people from venus we don't know <laughs> um and, and almost every single one of these shows has a talking dog they had a robot talking dog and they had some of the cast, but they, but they couldn't get David Cassidy, uh, who repla- they replaced with a sound alike. And Susan Day quit after two episodes. Oh, <laughs> ooh, ouch. Um, so another, fr- another first-time voice actor here is Mickey Dolans from The Monkees, who did not sing or perform as Mickey Dolans. He just did some supporting roles. But he actually went on to have a second career as a voice artist. He was the Tick, and Ar- he was Arthur in the original Tick. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's done a bunch of stuff. And so this is where he got his start on The Partridge Family in the Future. Wow. So, I mean, even though these uh, shows are terrible, it can really see uh, some of our favorites uh, cutting their teeth. It's just a stepping stone. It's Hollywood. You fail upward. Yeah, exactly. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that was it. That that ran 16 episodes in 74, 75. And almost none of these lasted more than a few episodes into a second season. Emergency had two full seasons. But either it's one season and out or one season and then like a five episode season two. Yeah. Um, And that's it. Um, But one of these episodes you've already covered because it was a one-off, Carlton, your doorman, which you've already talked about, but there was a co- common trope in the 70s and 80s of a minor character whose face we never saw, like Veron Cheers. And so that was Carlton, the doorman was on Rhoda, voiced by Lorenzo Music, who also had a great voice career. He was the voice of Garfield. He was Peter Venkman in the mm-hmm. Ghostbusters. He's a like, very recognizable voice actor. This is where he got to start as the off-screen, never-seen doorman on Rhoda. So James L. Brooks, legendary writer, director, producer. He, he co-created The Simpsons. He directed broadcast news. He's like, just this guy knows how to do this stuff. There's anybody in the 20th century who's more successful at making film and television than James L. Brooks. And he decided, you know what the kids need? A show about Rhoda's doorman. <laughs> so they, um, they aired the pilot as a, as a CBS special presentation and they never made a second episode. But I don't think this was intended to be a one-off like a lot of the shows you cover. I think they were like, oh, we got a series here. And they did one and they were like, maybe we don't. <laughs> yeah, it was um, not good. Um, we, it was we pain. Watched... Yeah, it was because um, it's, uh, uh, Mike, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically Carlton accidentally killing the building manager's like dog and then it's like oh this is hilarious kids will love it <laughs> yeah i read the synopsis and i was like hmm, i can't imagine why this didn't take off yeah it um uh i i think well you know it's very it's very weird but i guess it was still the 70s it's so. even though it's very grounded it's still about a doorman working in an apartment building it's kind of the strangest adaptation on this list yeah yeah i mean 
I don't. I mean, how many kids were even familiar with Dorman that didn't live in New York? Carl New Dorman was 1980, and the early 80s was the, really the golden age for just insane sitcoms turned Saturday morning cartoons. Because Hanna Barbera, uh, ABC has a huge, huge runaway hit with with Happy Days. So they're like, how can we present this to the kids? So Hanna Barbera does the Fonz and the Happy Days Gang, and oh, this I one, this, I, this one, I also. We're leading in the Liver and Shirley, but I definitely watched this one too. So Fonzie, Richie, and Ralph meet a teenage girl named Cupcake who claims to be from the 24th century. Without questioning this at all, they get into her time machine, travel through time where they promptly get lost because she's an idiot and doesn't know how the time machine works. Her own time machine. <laughs> so the, pre the premise is Fonzie, Richie, and Ralph, for some reason, Posse wasn't included. And I don't know whether they couldn't get that after or whether they were just like, eh, who needs them? <laughs> um, but they're lost in time uh, just the three of them and Fonzie's talking dog named Mr. Cool who wore sunglasses oh, of course <laughs> and the one thing that I remember from my childhood um, is that they would go to different historical eras and sometimes they'd meet fictional people and sometimes they would meet real historical figures but it's actually it was compared to the early episodes of Doctor Who that were a little bit more uh. about like history because um, the, the early season of Doctor Who like the first Doctor the William so Hartnell like, years, yeah. Yeah, he took his grandchildren to like different actual places in history and they'd meet like Richard the Lionheart or whatever. And then they came up with the, like the ratings were low and they were like, ooh, what about the Daleks? And then it became pure sci-fi and then the rest is history. Um, but it was a little like that. They would go back to like Genghis Khan or they would go to like, you know, King Tut or something. But every episode, as I remember, it was resolved by Fonzie hitting something like the jukebox. Oh, yeah, that's and his so, thing. Like, he just hit King Tuck's tomb and it would open up. Or he'd hit like, they're in a medieval dungeon. He just hit the portcullis and it would open up. You know, they're on the wrong side of the Great Wall of China. He just hits the Great Wall of China like a door opens up. Hey, <laughs> just every problem was solved with that. And I think he's doing that thing. Oh. <laughs> so no. just, just as Laverne and Shirley was a spinoff of Happy Days, they followed this uh, concurrent with season two of the Fonz and the Happy Days gang. And it's got two full seasons. Was Laverne, and, was Laverne and Shirley in the army and again I, my memories were sadly correct um, so they, Laverne and Shirley is about two young women making it on their own with their like weird greaser friends Lenny and Squiggy and one of them's boyfriend the great Ragu none of those people are in it it's Laverne and Shirley in the army in a two woman unit commanded by a talking pig named Sergeant Squealy I think, there's, I think there's like another sergeant who's Squealy's boss, who's a human, who yells at him sometimes. But it's basically just Laverne and Shirley and a pig in the army going on missions, getting into adventures. Um, were they in a war or were they just... Um, did they carry doing... guns? <laughs> I don't remember. I, I, I think it was more of a Beetle Bailey situation where oh, they're yeah, sort of always sense. in the army, but never at war. Uh, I was going to say, Squealy, Sergeant Squealy reminds me a lot of Otto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just the same. It's the same. Uh, you know, they, they now, tweak the premise ever so slightly. What I want to know is how many of these are recycled scripts from Olive Oil and Alice the Goon in the Army. Huh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yep. That well, was a real that. show. So. <laughs> apparently, this, this part came from a two parter where Laverne and, in the live action series, Laverne and Shirley joined the Army and then like were discharged because they're idiots or something. <laughs> So I don't know why they were like, ooh, this episode, let's make this into a cartoon for kids with a talking pig. But they did that. Oh, also I should mention, if I haven't already, that like almost all these shows, 
the re- the regular voice cast did the voices here. So Henry Winkler, Ron Howard, Academy Award winning director Ron Howard was the voice in a show about a time traveler named Cupcake. And, um, and Penny, Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams voiced their characters in the first season. Um, but Laverne and Shirley was towards the end of its run and Cindy Williams quit Laverne and Shirley because they wouldn't give her maternity leave. They wanted her to work all the way through her pregnancy. And she was like, I don't need this. And she left the show. And so the last like season and a half of Laverne and Shirley was just Laverne. Oh. And... Um, and so in season two of uh, Laverne and Shirley in the Army, she's voiced by a sound-alike, but that wasn't the only change. Fonzie and, his, and the Happy Days gang had done two seasons. So they combined the two shows. So season three of Fonzie, season two of Laverne and Shirley is the, it was called the succinctly titled Mork and Mindy slash Laverne and Shirley slash Fonz Hour, which was a half <laughs> hour where Laverne and Shirley were in the Army, but Fonz and Mr. Cool the Talking Dog were the mechanics in their Army unit. Apparently they fixed the time machine. Oh, and good, then, good for them. Yeah, and that was paired with a half-hour cartoon of Mork and Mindy. And as insane as the Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley one, Mork and Mindy was just Mork and Mindy, but they're teenagers. Like Orson sends Mork to a high school to investigate high school. Mindy's one of his classmates. She's the only one who knows the secret. And it's basically just a very straight-ahead teen high school sitcom with Mork and Mindy in it. The oh, only and difference now Mork is has that, an alien space dog. Yes, that's. I was going to say the only difference is the, <laughs> the talking, the requisite talking dog is pink and has six legs. And they drive a car that was built out of uh, Mork's egg. I remember that much. <laughs> huh. Good way to blend in. <laughs> so um, after that one, Filmation comes back the following year with Gilligan's Planet, which I also watched as a kid and enjoyed. Mm, and I remember this one. Again, it's basically the same show. They're trapped, except instead of stuck on an island, they're stuck on a. They're it's kind of lost in space with the Gilligan's Island crew. Um, so same theme song, even with the tune, but they just changed the lyrics to reflect that the professor built a spaceship. They traveled to another star, found a habitable planet. So let me just. It's put not this exactly a theme song in this one, though. They just sort of recite the lyrics roughly in time, but it does. It's <laughs> not like to the tune of the Gilligan's. You know. Oh, I- you know, Gilligan the Skipper, Professor and Marianne will find a brand new life. <laughs> it's okay. like they're retelling the story of Gilligan's Island as a as a nursery rhyme almost. <laughs> I, I should have pulled that up on YouTube. I didn't. Um, <laughs> but just to put this in perspective, the space shuttle program began in 1981. In 1982, the professor builds an interstellar starship out of coconuts. <laughs> but also can't get them off the island to like regular land on Earth. <laughs> so that is that is the premise. Um, and the only other real notable thing is that again the same live action cast did all the voices, except Tina Louise refused to participate. So Don Wells, the recently passed Don Wells who did Marianne, also voiced Ginger. So you don't have to choose; they're both the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I just, I guess they were like, well, sci-fi is big with the kids or something. I mean, what? Oh, because... sure, because it was like the Star Trek. It was, I kind of remember it being similar to the Star Trek cartoon, and that like they could kind of go nuts with the weird aliens they would meet because they didn't okay. have a makeup department or a budget or anything. But they didn't and, get around um, to introducing a cat girl and a three-legged guy. I, what a I, waste! I, I kind of want to go back to the episode guide and see if the Harlem Globetrotters made it there. <laughs> <laughs> the Harlem Galaxy Trotters. Oh, hey. Well, like the future on the globe trotters. You're, you're <laughs> astrophysics is nothing but razzle dazzle. <laughs> so, 
So another one that I watched and enjoyed as a kid, uh, 1983 was The Dukes, which was maybe the most straightforward show in the whole thing. It was The Dukes of Hazard. And is The Dukes of Hazard a, a sitcom, would you say? Yeah, it's a sitcom. Well, is not it? really. Oh, it's a, I didn't it's think a, so. No, it was a one-hour action show for kids, but it was kind of goofy. Mm, yeah, okay. uh, I thought it was um, supposed to be funny, but I mean... It, it, it was. It was kind of an action yeah. comedy, but it was still an hour action show. Oh, okay. Action okay. show for kids... You know, I wonder why they never made a Knight Rider cartoon. Uh, that seems like it would lend itself. Ob- yeah. That... On the other hand, maybe the Knight Rider cartoon evolved into Turbo Teen. <laughs> oh. Yeah, why, why, <laughs> why do a spin-off when you just do a knockoff? <laughs> well, I also happen yep. to know that um, the Dukes of Hazzard started off. So there was a movie called Moon Runners. About Moonshine Runners was like a Smoking the Bandit, that era. And then the writer of that just adapted his own movie for television under a different name. It was all the details were the same down to like there were cousins in kind of a beat up racing car who would run moonshine for their uncle and they weren't allowed to use guns because they're probation. So they used a bow and arrow, like everything in the pilot of the show was in this movie. And um, it was like a stealth adaptation of the movie. But in the early episodes, (laughs) the Duke boys were running moonshine and then CBS was like, this show's kind of turned into a hit. We want it to be a family-friendly hit for everybody. We can run at eight o'clock, so Ixnay on the Unshine May. <laughs> and so then they were just in trouble with the law just because the law didn't like them. Like, oh, that boss hog. <laughs> so in the cartoon version, it's still what well, the weird thing is. It's the Duke boys in their car. Uh, the premises are in a race around the world with uh, Do- Boss Hog and Roscoe in pursuit, and they give Roscoe like a Scooby-Doo-like sort of hound dog. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's a very straightforward, and the whole show is just about them jumping their car over things. So in this one, they're jumping their car with things. Boss Hog. I don't know if Boss Hog and Roscoe are entered in the race as competitors or they're just like trying to arrest them. But it's basically the same. There's just car chases. That's the show. But the moment when this came out, 1983, was when CBS decided people don't care about the two stars of the show. They're only tuning in for the car. So they replaced the two actors, Tom Wopat and and John Schneider, with lookalikes. The, the Duke boys were cousins themselves, but they also had these cousins, Coy and Vance, who wore the same outfits as they did and were the knockoff Duke boys. So season one of the Duke's cartoon was the knockoff Duke boys. And then with little fanfare explanation, when Tom Wopat and John Schneider came back to the live action show, they also took over the cartoon voices. You'd think they could have like thrown the replacement Duke boys a bone and said, well, you can keep doing the cartoon. Nope, they're out. Oh, bizarre. <laughs> So in the mid- so on the show, I kind of remember because I watched the Dukes of Hazzard as a kid too. There was a thing where like they leave for like the racing circuit, and their cousins Coy and Vance show up to help Uncle Jesse on the farm or something. And so okay, you plugged in two new Duke boys, and then Coy and Vance go away to do a thing. And they join the army or something. I don't know. And then you know, hey, Bo and Luke are back. It's back to the beginning. They're in a race around the world. <laughs> they're in like <laughs> Singapore, and they're like, oh look, our cousins. I guess here you take the keys to the car. <laughs> and i don't think they put that much thought into it or explained it i'm sure it was just like season two here's the you know real duke boys that you love yeah <laughs> we're like no, yeah, what is a dog just watch <laughs> now what you said about the origin of the dukes of hazard i am strongly reminded of how the writer of rain man he basically wrote a remake of rain man as his treatment for the script for the super mario brothers movie what? <laughs> yes, it was literally going to be about how you know 
you know, Luigi was completely dependent on Mario, but he was this video game wizard or something like that. It was so close to Rain Man that it got nicknamed around the producers Drain Man. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> and honestly, it's not that much stranger than the Super Mario movies we, we got. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I that... think that, that's a beautiful mistake. I love that movie exactly. so much. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a thing. <laughs> Man, we're, we're really just hitting that, touching every base of just bizarre bad pop culture tonight um, that's our only, show You're i only have one more uh <laughs> it's it's punky brewster this is where ruby spears gets into the game in 1985-86 and they did two seasons of this one uh for people who aren't middle-aged men obsessed with pop culture detritus punky brewster was a family sitcom about a girl raised by a foster father ran for four seasons was a minor hit in the 80s and they did an animated version that was essentially the same show with the same cast but they added a great kazoo type leprechaun gopher. Yes, uh, that oh, was uh, Glomer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember and, Glomer. And so he would take Punky, Punky on, on various adventures. And it's like, it's already kind of a, excuse me. It's already a kid's sitcom as it is. Cause this was, I don't, I don't think this was literally like a TGIF show, but it was that kind of show. It was like a family show to kids. So this was actually the most natural fit other than the leprechaun gopher, which is not a natural <laughs> anything. Um, <laughs> And so, and that was the last one that I could find. And Ethan, you said you had one more, but before we get into that, I, yes. um, I just wanted to just throw this out there that a name that came up a lot researching the shows was Fred Welker, who was a legendary voice actor from the Hanna-Barbera stable. And he is in all of these. He's best known as the voice of Fred on Scooby-Doo. He has done Freddy on Scooby-Doo almost continuously since 1969. Oh, wow. He was in every iteration of Scooby-Doo to present. He's still working. Because um, Casey Kasem went from 69 until like the early 2000s, but but he quit this lifelong gig voicing Shaggy because he's a hardcore vegan and they did a Burger King commercial and Casey Kasem objected. He was all like, Shaggy and Scooby would never eat burgers. Well, that's the thing. He's been scarfing down giant sandwiches as Shaggy this whole time, but he was like, but I cannot in good conscience lend my voice to Burger King. <laughs> and time, Walk I'm all y'all. That was... I'm Casey Kasem. I'm told that that was why they started the whole Scooby Snacks thing that Shaggy would also eat because, you know, they weren't necessarily meat. You could just assume they were whatever. Oh, but yeah, so, they're like dog biscuits, basically, there. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now, but I'm sure at some show, point they... Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Now, the other show that uh, Frank Welker and Casey Kasem are well known for both being on is Transformers, where Frank Welker was half the characters or so. Oh, and yeah. Casey K- yeah. And Casey Kasem was a number of characters, most notably the Autobots computer, Teletran 1. Now, the thing is, Transformers in its third season kind of swung wildly anti-Arabic <laughs> to the point where they introduced uh, a regular uh, setting, which was this Middle Eastern Republic of Karbamia. Oh, God, wow. I don't remember this yeah. bad. Yeah, and Casey Kasem was pissed, and I don't blame him. And they wrote had to write all of his characters out of the show, and even Teletran One was destroyed and replaced with Teletran Two. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, well, yeah, Fred Fred Walker was Megatron among other characters, and Michael Bay actually brought him back to be Megatron in the movies. Yeah, in he the all... but the third or third or fourth movie, but the first three they were all still uh, what's his name, uh, Agent Smith. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh. oh, yeah. I had not paid that much attention to those movies. Um, my main rooting interest is, yeah, of course. But I <laughs> lifetime Transformers fan. They're bad. No, I, they're t- well, I tried watching one, and it was just such like just this blur of CGI garbage. You couldn't tell what was going on. 
because I will give any movie a chance where Marky Mark pretends to be a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> These particles are like wicked accelerated. <laughs> so the Bumblebee oh, movie, that's good because he was nowhere near that. Okay. Um, but Fred Welker, he was also Kermit on Muppet Babies. He's, he's done everything. He's done like a hundred cartoons. So in the shows we've talked about, he was Mr. Cool, Fonzie's Talking Dog. He was the robot dog in the Partridge Family in the future. He was the alien dog in Mork. He was Punky Brewster's dog. And he was the Leprechaun Gopher. I've seen and, a theme. But looking at his resume, I noticed something else, which you guys are maybe very aware of. But if not, he was in something called Christmas Comes to Pac-Land, which mm-hmm. you absolutely have to find cover on the show if you haven't already. But Pac, oh, there, was a, yeah. there was a Pac-Man animated Saturday morning cartoon that um, I don't rem- I remember there was like Pac-Man and the ghosts and what, whatnot, but there was also like a Gargamel-like, probably a wizard. Yeah, like a, yes. Yeah, I remember that. Like, he's like a yeah, primeval type guy. Like, yeah, he looked just like primeval. He had a sort of harmonica face going on. He, it's, <laughs> it's sort of weird that primeval looks so much like that last shot of Darth Vader where they take off his helmet as he's dying. <laughs> I think well, it's complete you know, coincidence, though. <laughs> you would think, but it is filmation, so. Yeah, Hanna-Barbera, but yeah. Oh, is it? Oh, Never mind. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I was thinking of, uh, sorry, the Ghostbusters, so Primeval, that's Filmation. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Man. Um, so, All right, so, so we, Ethan, you we, said you had one more that wasn't on my list. Mike does. Oh, oh. I, I know one. Um, the ALF uh, cartoon show, or um, as it, or be, I think ALF and later your ALF and ALF Tales. How did I miss that about... both, both in my research and in my real life? Oh, really? Yeah, because as you recall, Alf, I'm sure we all remember Alf. Well, it's in the name of your show. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's kind of a thing. Uh, Alf had crash landed in the Tanner's garage and it was all about his life on Earth. But the Alf cartoon show showed us life on Melmac, uh, which was basically that uh, it's like, oh, yeah, Alf basically lives with his family and the dog and, you know, has wacky adventures like a teenager. It's sort of like Tasmania now that I think. Yeah, yeah. It just eats Um, cats and like. Yeah, the, the the main thing the I remember sequence is, the, is sung by cats. Yeah, that's right. The whole opening sequence <laughs> is Alf being serenaded by cats, and uh, it's all a dream because he wakes up and he's all like, "No more tabby pot pies for me before bedtime." Ha, which is you know his thing. Yeah. Um, and I I think at one point they were like, you know what, this isn't gelling. We need Alf tales, which is like Alf recreating famous fairy tales with like his theater troupe of. Uh, various Melmachian char- supporting characters. Um, though we do learn a couple things about Alf. Uh, one thing is that Alf was apparently in the Melmac army. I think the the orbit patrol. Was there a talk? Was there a talking pig? <laughs> well, they're all talking <laughs> pigs if you think about it. Yeah, I guess that's kind of true. <laughs> um, mainly, I remember is their their big job was trying to stop Larson Petty, who is the villain who is always <laughs> trying to invade melmac despite living on melmac i'm really not sure what his deal was but um but yeah uh, that that was that was uh, elf um and uh, also we got to meet Rhonda, who is the girlfriend he's always talking about oh yeah um, well I, I i imagine this is cobbled together from i kind of remember watching elf as a kid and that he would always give these bizarre details of life back on melmac that were completely wildly inconsistent it was like it was the first time that i was as a child aware of like well this is bad writing did that stop me from watching the show every week? It did not. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I hope someone got fired for this blunder. Yeah, but, and also talking Paul about Fusco like... Paul Fusco seemed to take it uh, pretty seriously because several 
of the characters that we first met on the on the cartoon, like Rhonda and Alf's best friend. What was his name? Scott, something like that. Oh, Skip. But yeah, they actually Skip. I think it was Skip. Okay, R- Skip and Rhonda actually appear in the very last episode of of uh, Alf, looking relatively like their animated selves. So, what well, they have some strict continuity in the Alf extended universe. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was it was a show, and like like you know, I, I mean, it was on TV, so I watched it a lot. But um, yeah. Well, it's... like speaking of the gap in quality between the shows we've been talking about today, and you know the incredibly good, well written, well acted shows they're putting out now for children. One of my life's great regrets is that when we were kids, everything on TV was utter garbage, and I watched all of it. And <laughs> now I'm like, oh, the Queen's Gambit looks brilliantly acted and directed and written. I don't really have time for that. <laughs> Yeah. Like there's yeah, all this great TV that I'm like, I'm going to watch The Wire one of these days, I swear. Like, <laughs> so, well, and, and when you're a kid, time is infinite. But like as an adult, it's like, I don't have time for, I've got to, got to adult, you know? As uh, an adult, you know, as an adult at the time, you they were, you know, committed to giving you more time off to consume, to spend the money that you were making. But now they're just like, hey, we got it all through your rent and your uh, insurance anyway. What do we need to give you time off for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think in the like the the fuck seatbelts era of parenting in the seventies, it was like oh stick them in front of the tube and then the old crap. And now parents are like so concerned with screen time, and my kids are watching like science videos on YouTube and like, um, and you know brilliantly produced, really adventurous, creative cartoons and like, but also as much like sort of complaints about screen time, they spend their time so much better than I did as kids, and they have so many more like ennobling enlightening you know options for entertainment and for leisure time than we had as kids it was like you could either watch these horrible cartoons based on sitcoms that were not very good in the first place or we played games like we play catch with a baseball and when it got too dark to see the ball we would gather together in a knot we would throw the ball up in the air and we would scatter and try not to get beamed by the ball and it came back down like (laughs) that's what we did for fun in the 80s we had nothing and that's why they invented the koosh ball (laughs) (laughs) no it's true it's a different time you know we didn't have 24 we didn't have it like these kids now when i was a kid i mean like yeah it's like you watch terrible tv or you um you break things or like you spend the whole afternoon like you know coloring uh your hands in with a ballpoint pen or something you know it's just yeah so like (laughs) as easy it is to feel like the world's going to hell um we're in a much better even like trump aside we're in a much better world than uh than the one we grew up in and thank goodness for that. Yeah. Because I mean, we don't we don't have uh cartoons about talking pigs in the article. <laughs> <laughs> well now that you means... can just watch on uh YouTube shows where kids rediscover them and be like, Can you believe this crazy lost cartoon about a Laverne and Shirley and a talking pig? And they're like, kids So first you'll be able to understand. Laverne and Shirley. The thing is though, I, like... can't, I can't get my kids to watch good things from my childhood because it's so <laughs> it's it's such crap compared to what they have now. Like on Thanksgiving, I forced him to watch the turkeys episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. And <laughs> and the joke oh. still, like the central joke still lands. Like, you know, I got to my way to say that turkeys could fly. Like that still got a laugh. And the big <laughs> build up to that got a laugh. But the first half is just set up and it's very slow paced compared to anything on TV now. And they were just like humor in their weird old dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the good, that was one of the good shows in the eighties. <laughs> I have... Uh, some more stuff to uh, bring up on this subject. It felt, oh, yeah. it kind of felt like we were wrapping up there, but uh, I have 
three little tangents to go on in the past and the future and around the world. Oh, so okay. let's look at you know the uh, the history of animation in sitcoms and specifically animated versions of sitcoms. Let's not forget that a lot of these favorite favorite sitcoms that we grew up with on Nick at Night and so forth, they frequently had official animated versions right in their credits. You've got Bewitched and you've got uh, I and you've got I Dream of Genie. And not too many people know this. I love Lucy. We're all used to that weird lacy uh, opening credits, but yeah. I Love Lucy originally had these stick figure versions of Lucy and Desi who would introduce the show and introduce their advertiser. And you couldn't huh. show these because they weren't being uh, sponsored by the same company anymore. Oh. Huh. But if you look at, you can look these up on uh, YouTube and they're, uh, still, they're still a thing. So, oh, but that, that actually reminds me of another sitcom cartoon connection. Because like the Flintstones wasn't a straight up adaptation of a sitcom, but it was very clear the Honeymooners. But also, um, I, I mentioned uh, National Book Award winning graphic novelist Colleen Ann Venable was uh, was a guest early on my show with her idea about Scooby Doo and like whoever makes the masks for the villains. And so, in reading up in Scooby Doo, I came across the origins of that show, which is that there was a radio serial called I Love a Mystery, and it was big in like the 30s and 40s. And Hanna-Barbera was like, what if we brought that back somehow for kids? And it was a long running successful show. And they were like, how can we do this for kids? What if we plug in the characters from the many lives of Dobie Gillis? <laughs> yeah, kids love yeah. that. Well, but no, but that was like a kid, that was like a teen show. That was like the OC of like the fifties. And um, because there's a lot of, there was always speculation when I was a kid that the four Scooby-Doo kids were represented like the four main colleges in Boston. That there's like the slacker oh. school and the stoner school and the preppy school or whatever. And like, you know, Velma's like MIT and Freddie's Harvard and I, however it lines up. I don't know which one is the stoner one that Shaggy's from. No, huh. it was Freddie's Dobie Gillis. And for those of you who are under the, under the age of 70, this was, uh, you know, this was on Nick and Knight in the 80s. And so we sort of caught up on this one. But Dobie Gillis was the main kid. And the main thing was that he was, he was um, sort of torn between two girls, Zel Zelda, who was maps to Velma. And the other one, whose name I don't remember, who maps to Daphne. And his best friend, Maynard, Maynard G. Krebs, was a beatnik played by Bob Denver, who was later Gilligan. And he was kind of a spoof of beatniks. And the way my dad talked about it, because he was this was on when he was a teenager, he kind of defanged beatniks because they were like these sort of scary, you know, toughs with their marijuana and everything like that. And he was like a slacker who would go into convulsions when he heard the word work. Uh. So he was just a very silly character. But Shaggy would you know, who's like a coward and avoid, you know, avoids having to do anything. And it's based directly on this. And so it's weirdly kind of a sitcom adaptation where they just threw in a talking dog and had him solve mysteries. Well, why not? Why not? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you, what was the other thing you said about the okay. future? Uh, I've, let's see. Actually, no, I'm still, they're still on the subject of the past. Uh, there is one sitcom, you could say, that I think America wants to forget ever happened, but we really shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Amos and Andy. Oh, yeah. Do you oh, know man. there's an animated version of Amos and Andy? I, wow. I did not know that. I, that, I, that. We probably don't know that for a reason. That was probably been... <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact is, they real the producers of Amos and Andy, the white guys who did the voices of these black characters, realized, well, you know, they don't have to be coming out of black faces. We could just put them in animals instead. And that was the genesis of Calvin and the Colonel. 
Oh, that that's like a tiger, isn't he? And a bear or something? A, ba- a bear and a wolf who have pretty much not just, you know, not just similar adventures to Amos and Andy, but literally they reused radio scripts. So it is, it's just, wow. yeah, they just stripped Ooh. the races from Amos and Andy and tried reusing it, using the same voices and everything. So this wow. is just how they, like, they kept the radio actors working? Uh, kind of, yeah. Because they had, to, uh, they had to recast for television because they needed to use black actors. Yeah, they, they used black actors for the television. But yeah, they, I think these are the, uh, I, I, you know, actually, I don't know if these are the white guys who did the black voices or if it was the black guys who uh, bit their tongues and did black voices. So it's, you know, one way or the other, they were trying to keep Amos and Andy alive, but uh, America rejected Calvin and the Colonel, and for good reason. Wow. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess we learned, we learned for once in our history. Um, now, around the same time, now, now we're going around the world. Now, I want you, I'm going to give you two a challenge. Which sitcom founded not only animation, but a whole genre of animation? Oh, Simpsons? No, well, close, but no, in the 60s. Oh, um, um, oh, uh, oh, um, um. Beverly Hillbillies. Nope, not quite. The answer mm. is Bewitched. Bewitched was a giant hit in Japan to the point where one of the very first anime made for television was a knockoff of Bewitched called Sally the Magical Girl, which has wow. evolved into the genre of magical girl anime, many of which you oh. might have heard of, like Sailor Moon or uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, so not exactly directly based on Bewitched, but uh, it but definitely influenced by it, and it wouldn't it might not have existed without it. Wow, man! <laughs> and only fitting if I Dream a Genie gets a gets a cartoon knockoff that Bewitched should too. <laughs> yeah, Bewitched should get its own. Should definitely have a specific cartoon. Oh, but it could be based on that uh, that Will Ferrell movie where it's where. Oh, it that's right. The, the yeah. yeah. The Bewitched movie, where the plot was that they were making a Bewitched movie. <laughs> well, that's bad. I never, I avoided that one, and I'm, now I'm glad I did. But I think the moral it's, of the story for everything we've talked about is that no one will let intellectual properties die. No, no, <laughs> my, don't don't leave money on the table. Um, and that's I my think... last story, which is about <laughs> another intellectual property which refused to die. This is the very last, latest one on this list, and. Do either of you remember Little Rosie? Oh, no. Yes, I, do. I remember that. Yes, in 1989 or so, there was a, from the creators of Beetlejuice, there was a cartoon roughly based on the childhood of Roseanne Barr, but also roughly based on the show Roseanne, where our character Little Rosie has a big lovable lunk boyfriend named Buddy and a little sister who is essentially a clone of Jackie and they have kind of you know those you know the imagination kind of adventures yes now Roseanne did create the show herself and she ran into a lot of heel dragging from CEOs the the executives absolutely wanted her to put more boys in the show and she was like no I want the show to be you know about girls from a girl's perspective and they ended up canceling it because she wouldn't add more male characters 
Now, I, I haven't said later. I haven't said good for Roseanne in a long, long time, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Roseanne you know, credit is, credit's too. Roseanne is fucking nuts, but sometimes she made some good decisions. <laughs> now, a couple of years later, we get a special, a special in which Rosie and Buddy, the main characters of Little Rosie, are now grown up and voiced by Roseanne and Tom Arnold together. And they return to cartoon land to wreak their vengeance for having their show canceled. <laughs> don't, they, don't they meet like Beetlejuice? In this? Yes, Beetlejuice yeah, is in it. Of course. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. I remember that one detail. <laughs> yes. Oh, what, what um, more natural pairing for the down-to-earth blue-collar Con- Connor family? <laughs> and Beetlejuice, he's a working man. He's a working stiff. So. Hey, hey, come on. You know the Connors. They love Halloween. That's true. <laughs> All right. So actually, I see we're, we're down to like our last few minutes. So I guess yeah. we should say, uh, well, I want to th- thank our guest, Mike, uh, Mike Vago. And uh, Mike, remind the people of, uh, of your new books in, in case we did lose that first segment. <laughs> oh, yeah. The... Um... Well, the, my next book, uh, The Planets Are Very, Very, Very Far Away, uh, comes out later this year, and it's a it's a scale model of the solar system for kids that makes you realize you have never seen a scale model of the solar system. They always fudge it to fit it on a page. Because you can't fit it on a page, this folds out six pages wide, and it's at a trillion to one scale, and then a ten trillion to one scale, and it's, it shows you a realistic view of how small the planets are compared to this vast space in between them. Um, but but it's you know it's it's down to the level for level of like say middle grade uh, kids. My other books include the miniature book of miniature golf, which is a working miniature golf course in book form. Um, I write the wiki wormhole column for the AV Club every Sunday. Uh, I have a podcast of my own. Why this not a movie? I um, let's see. Why is this not a movie? Is part of the subject podcast network, but they canceled my college radio station and my campus magazine, and so I founded a nonprofit that has a student-run media, multimedia outlet called subjectmedia.org, where the students are writing articles and students and alumni are doing radio shows and podcasts. So I do a radio show on Wednesdays. My podcast drops on Tuesdays. Uh, I have a lot of COVID projects. I try to keep myself busy. (laughs) Let's way be. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, And hopefully we'll have this entire thing up on uh, our next episode. (laughs) Maybe it'll just be half and the rest will be a mystery for the folks at home. Well, we'll see <laughs> we'll what the Zoom has to say, but thanks guys for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs>